4: This is Bear Sheldon Ely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
3: And hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour, known as the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, just looking through uh, through my notes here, this is one of those times where I had someone scheduled and we have not been able to uh, connect Um, I was going to talk with the uh, author of a new oh maybe that's uh, maybe that's her now And sorry about that little pause there, folks. Uh, Continuing on, I I told you I was planning on talking with uh, the author of a new book, Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change. And the author of that book, Tanya Hester, joins me by phone. Hi, Tanya. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Um, Tanya, why... um, the last the last book you wrote was about retiring early. Mm-hmm. What is this an extension of that book, or are you onto a whole different subject? And why do, why do you assume people want to apply their money to make change? Oh,
6: that's a big question. Um, I would say it's mostly a new topic. I think there's some of the spirit of wallet activism within. Work optional, um, but the the sort of inside scoop in publishing is often publishers really want to publish the books that they think are going to sell based on what they think is trendy. And early retirement is really trendy. And so I had the opportunity to write that first book because early retirement was something my husband and I pursued because I have a genetic disability and knew I wouldn't have my whole life to be able to do some of the things that I wanted to do. And I watched my dad get forced into early retirement by the same thing and wanted to be more in control of things. And so that was the book I had the opportunity to write. But wallet activism goes much more to my past work, sort of the spirit I've always had, which is wanting to create a better world and, and believing that that's possible in terms of why folks want this. I think that, um, there's a ton of data that shows that people in many generations, but I think particularly Gen X and younger, are really interested in supporting causes through their consumer behavior um, and are interested in making sure that, for example, their retirement investments aren't invested in bad guy companies that kind of thing. So I think there's an enormous interest out there in using your money to support the kinds of things you want to support and not support the, the things you you don't like to see in the world. But I think a lot of folks have felt like actually doing that is ra- is rather hopeless and they sort of throw their hands up. Um, but that's why I really wanted to write this, to give people more guidance in exactly how to do that, how to make sure that the money that you have and your financial power in the world is going to, Support positive things for the climate, for the planet, and for our fellow humans.
3: Now, certainly, people are are becoming more and more aware of climate change and and trying to do things, make purchases, and practice behaviors that that help with sustainability, whether it's transportation or food or um, just utilities power and and lights Mm -hmm. um but we're just still wrestling with this whole pandemic thing which caused a lot of people to be out of work um and and now that things are are starting to return to normal a little bit a lot of places are having a tough time getting and keeping staff Mm -hmm. um how does that um, this, this new trend of, of um, oh, what's the, what's the phrase? I, I just heard it recently, and it's the jumped. great resignation. Yeah, the great resignation. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How, does, how does that impact what you're trying to teach people in this new book? You
6: know, I think we don't really have a sense yet of where the job market is headed. You know, at some point, a lot of folks are going to have to go back to work, but I think it's a really positive thing that so many workers feel empowered now and feel able to say, hey, these conditions aren't... Um, aren't fair to me. My time is worth more than this. I deserve to be treated with dignity and people are walking away. Um, You know, not every employer has a shortage right now. It's really the the ones who want to pay the least and treat people the worst. So I think in general, people walking away is in a way sort of practicing wallet activism, but, but we don't know where this is headed or where this will end yet Um, but I I do think it's a good example and and I think that we're seeing this in multiple instances now of people saying you know what I have some power and I may not be a wealthy person I may not have enormous assets but I can still make choices that push for better conditions and a person leaving a job because the the pay isn't good enough or the treatment is unfair or uh, you know just cruel uh, is in fact an act of wallet activism because it signals to that employer that they can't treat people that way. And that has a benefit on other employees too. So I, I applaud it. I hope that folks are able to find better situations. And I think this, this time of putting more power into the hands of workers and less into the hands of um, corporate America is a very positive development.
3: Would you like to have seen these two books? Reversed wallet activism first, <laughs> retire early second. I, I'm I'm being a little facetious, but but how do you what do you say to people who say wallet activism? What what if there's nothing in my wallet?
6: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's that's a completely understandable sentiment, and I think a lot of people feel that. We know from the economic data that huge percentage of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So, of course, people would feel that. What I want people to know is that you don't need to be a wealthy person or able to afford Patagonia jackets and a Tesla car um, and all these things that we sort of associate with moral virtue um, to be able to make a difference. There are a lot of things that anyone can do. And I think it's important for folks to know, you know, the, the biggest problem with climate change globally is that wealthy people are consuming too much. And some of that, of course, we think of as private jet flights all around the world, or even sometimes private jet flights to the climate conference.
3: Well, and, and who can afford to take a car and shoot it into space? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but that's that's not what the book is fundamentally
6: focused on. We do need the super wealthy to consume much, much, much less, Um, but the good news is if you are struggling, you know, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, there is a very good chance that you are not over consuming and you are therefore not putting an enormous burden on the planet's resources or are not relying too heavily on exploited labor, so you also have a bit less responsibility for the crisis. Uh, which I think is just a, a relief for a lot of folks to hear. Um, but there are things you can do, like, for example, changing where you bank. If you currently bank with one of the big banks, um, one of the you know banks that advertises on television and uh, that maybe banks across multiple countries, there is a very good chance that the money sitting in your savings account, no matter how big or small that amount is, is going to fund things like new fossil fuel projects. Uh we, we like to think the money sitting in our savings account is just going out to fund local mortgages or to help local small business owners open up a store or things like that. But it's mostly going to fund big projects like fossil fuel projects, like funding Uh, conflict minerals like funding new factories in areas where they use forced labor and so that's all stuff that i think most of us don't want to be a part of we certainly don't want to think that our money is funding it and so switching to a credit union or a community bank or a black owned bank or any number of other options that are smaller um, really is a powerful act and those big banks once they see that they're losing customers they're going to pay attention to that and so it doesn't matter how much you have in the bank. What matters is that you send a signal with it, and that's something really anyone can do. And and there are lots of examples like that in the book that I don't want folks to feel like you have to have, you know, a million bucks in the bank to, to make a difference. That's just really not true at all.
3: I was going to ask you about credit unions, if if that isn't maybe a better way for people to do banking, um, to... to maybe get some sense that they have more power over how their money is used.
6: Yeah, credit unions have a lot of virtue. As you said, they allow you to sort of vote and actually have a direct say in how the organization uses some of, some of the money. Um, but in general, they're also just smaller, and so they are required to use that money in a more local way. And some in particular even have a specific community investment focus. And you can find a credit union like that by going to inclusive.org. That's inclusive without the E at the end. Um, and there you can find one that's specifically focused on lower income communities, communities of color, um, those who've not necessarily had the same opportunities as others historically. And so you can do an actual you know active good by switching to one of those credit unions it, it varies by area how many are available um, so it's worth looking up and seeing if that's an option but yes absolutely going with a credit union is a great move on so many different levels
3: why do we I say we but why do some people embrace this notion that that very large banks are too big to fail
6: Oh, well, I mean, this we'd have to get into the, the complicated dynamics of our entire economy, <laughs> get into how intertwined things are. Uh, you know, if, if you have a retirement account, there is a good chance that you have um, mortgage securities in there, and a lot of those are packaged up by the big banks. And there's this idea that if we let one of the big banks fail, that it's going to affect everything. It's going to... Bring down the stock market, which will hurt the rich people, of course, but it will also hurt folks like retirees who are living off their invested income through their 401k or their IRA. um, And that it could do things like collapse the mortgage market again. And I don't think any of us want to go back to a 2008 situation, but even then, that would have been worse if the big banks had failed, undoubtedly, and it could have been longer, too. So I'm not defending the big banks in any way, but I, I certainly understand the sentiment that it's a huge house of cards, and if you take out one of the cards at the bottom, a lot's going to come tumbling down.
3: Yeah, I, I guess there, there is a domino effect to it. It's, it's hard not to think, well, too big to fail just seems like, uh, you know, a, a myth. But mm-hmm. it, but it is a real thing.
6: Yeah, it is, and we <coughs> we could excuse me. <coughs> we could certainly rethink that and try to rework that as a society. But given where we are now, if we don't make big changes there, um, yes, we have an incredibly complex and interconnected system that that just makes a lot of things we might consider evil uh, sort of necessary at the moment but I'd love to see us try to change that moving forward
3: well I want to get into some of the things that are um, that that you bring out in this book and again it's called uh, Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change by Tanya Hester. But, Tanya, I have to take a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? I sure can. That'd be great. Um, My guest, uh, again, is Tanya Hester. If you're listening to us on WFOV. 92.1 92.1 LPFM Flint Our Voices Radio. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't click that mouse, uh, don't don't turn that dial. We'll uh, we'll have more with Tanya Hester, and we're going to talk about wallet activism and what that really means uh, for, you know, some of us regular folks. We've been talking about big banks and, and uh, the wealthy, but, but we'll get into it some more right after this.
1: Hello, darling. This is Elvira. Mr. of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
5: Joe Bae from the Blue Lions. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee, Alexander Zanchet, actor, comedian Jonah Podi, Woodrow Stanley, U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, State Senator Jim Anan, comedian Brian McCree,
3: the
2: unknown comic
4: Mark Farner,
3: and Tom. I want you to know, Tom's my friend.
4: You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh it's that's impressive. Nice to
5: be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't
4: read the whole thing. I've got willing to
5: admit that. <laughs>
4: hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview all.
7: Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
5: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And
3: hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with Tanya Hester, author of Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change. She joins me by phone. Tanya, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No worries. Um, I mentioned the <laughs> title of of, uh, of this new book, Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change. And I want to talk about how each of those things um, can influence change. But let's start with, with save. What's that? Yeah, so <laughs> I think... Um, the,
6: the conversation about how to use your money for good, people tend to default to shopping and to think about what are things I can buy that will do some good. And I wanted to make clear that this isn't just about shopping at all. And in fact, oftentimes the answer is not to shop. The The best ways often that we have power are through other ways. So, you talked about earning and saving. So, with saving, we've talked a bit about banking, and that's yeah, a huge we did. Part of and, it.
3: and and let's let's go back to earn because it, you're right. It's real easy to. Uh, sort of transpose wallet activism to consumer activism. That's how most yes. people would react to that and think about, well, I'm not going to shop at big box stores or I'm going to shop local for the holidays and, and these other kinds of things. And they think that's um, something they're doing to promote positive change. Um, but But what about earning? Is there um, mm-hmm. a, a way that that we make a conscious decision about what we will and won't do to make a living?
6: Yeah, and, and this is heavily situation dependent. I want to make that clear at the outset. Not everyone has the same set of choices. But if if you do have the choice of, for example, what industry to work in or what employer to work for within an industry, you have the ability to say, nope, this this is not an industry I want to support or this is not a company I want to support. And that can be a very powerful act because by denying an industry or a, a company top talent, you are forcing them to ask some hard questions. Why can't we attract top people? What do we need to change to do that? And and oftentimes that can drive real change. On the other hand, if, if that isn't you, you, know, you don't have necessarily a ton of choices and, and you have to take the job that you can get you still have power within that. Are, we, are count.
3: Are we ex- are we experiencing that now with uh, what we touched on earlier, the Great Resignation?
6: I think it's it's very possible we are, and the fact that you see so many folks saying, you know, sort of, uh, I, I refuse to keep working here and screw all of you, and, and often said in less kind words than that. Um, I do think that. That's, as we talked about earlier, a little bit of wallet activism of people saying, well, you are terrible for one of any number of reasons, and I refuse to contribute my talents here. Um, And so, yes, I I very much think that's wallet activism. And, you know, for folks who don't have a ton of choices, you still have a choice about how to conduct yourself in the workplace. You have a choice about whether you want to, for example, fight for more diversity in hiring and for greater inclusion so that you don't just hire diverse folks and then have them leave right away, you know, that they actually feel like they're a part of the team and are valued. That's something that, that employees can really agitate for. You can also, you know, on the other end of the spectrum is the more extreme act of, of fighting for unionization within an organization. And that's something we're seeing a lot more of right now, which is really great. You know, I think folks have different opinions of unions, but fundamentally all we're talking about is just the right of employees to bargain collectively, to to pool together and say, you have to negotiate with us as a group. And that's something that's good for workers, because if you're a single person trying to fight a big corporation, that's pretty impossible. But if you can band together and get power in numbers, then it's a different thing. And there are countless examples through history of change happening not because consumers demanded it or because shareholders demanded it, but because employees from the inside demanded it. And so. Just think of any, any relationship you have with a big entity as being a way to push
3: it to change. And that can very much be through work. How do people convince themselves that their actions have that kind of power? Most people think, yeah, I'm just one person. I, you know, nothing I do is going to make a big difference
6: yeah i think that's really natural to think that you know the the thing i would say is change feels really slow until it isn't <laughs> i think we can all think of recent examples you know for for all of history same-sex marriage was not legal and the public opinion was not particularly support in support of it despite LGBTQ plus activists working for decades uh to try to push for marriage equality. And then we had that Supreme Court decision about a decade ago. And very, very quickly following that public opinion shifted and now we have widespread support for same sex marriage. And that's just I, I offer that as an example not of wallet activism, but to help people remember that okay, yeah, you know, it didn't feel like anything was happening. It felt like lots of people were pushing and fighting and nothing was happening, but it almost was like the snap of the fingers or the blink of an eye. Overnight, everything changed, and that's how it tends to go. So I think you have to have a little bit of faith in the process and, and to stay hopeful and know, okay, this this stuff adds up and it matters even if I can't see it right in this moment. Um, but what matters is sort of getting the ball rolling or inspiring that next person to take what you did and, and they were inspired by and build on it. And that's really how change happens. And so just taking that first step can be incredibly powerful, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment.
3: How much of an effect on change did the pandemic have? Or was there change already evolving and the pandemic put a spotlight on it?
6: I suspect it's more the latter, although this would not be my area of expertise to think that that's a good question for a labor economist, but it, it sure does seem like, you know, dissatisfaction in corporate America has been raising for a long time. We know that wages in especially the lowest earning jobs have not remotely kept up with inflation, and I think the pandemic really just put a fine point on that of all these folks who said, you know, we're going to work and unsafe conditions, and our employers aren't taking the pandemic seriously enough. They're forcing us to work too close together. They're not giving us hazard pay. Uh, I think it sort of was the thing that let the pot boil over, you know, not the thing that made it boil to begin with.
3: Well, it just it, it seems to me like for a lot of uh, people in the, the labor force, um, a, a lot of people got sent home for a year and had a mm-hmm. chance to think about, you know, how do i feel now how was i feeling before how do i want to feel next <laughs> you know yeah. if if i'm happier out of work than i was working maybe i need to be working somewhere else or doing something different and then at the same time there were people all of a sudden who had been invisible that everybody was celebrating and and i'm not talking about just healthcare professionals and hospital mm-hmm. workers but <clears throat> You know, truck drivers and, and uh, grocery store uh, stockers and clerks and, and uh, it, all of a sudden there, there were these essential people that had been completely ignored before. And so that maybe it caused some of them to think differently about what their role is in the grand scheme of things.
6: I think it must be incredibly difficult to be someone who was hailed as a hero and and as a frontline worker, but then see your employer not raise your wages, not take precautions with regard to your health and safety, in many cases not even provide you with health care. And so I'm sure that that dissonance was really impactful for a lot of folks. And if they had the opportunity to leave, I think many did. I I think that we are very much seeing – a case of two different pandemics, you know, the folks who were able to work from home are less the folks who are resigning in great numbers than are the folks who had to keep going in person to work through the whole thing. And I think that the folks who had to go in person or who were maybe forced back too early before it felt safe, you know, before we had a high level of vaccination or anything like that. Um, I think those are the folks who rightly feel a lot of outrage and say, you know, we were Sort of told we were so great, but then the the actual conditions and the pay didn't match that, and I deserve better. And,
3: and I think they're absolutely right. How do we? How, how do people determine what they would um, like to see changed and different as a way of preparing to reacclimate themselves? to behave in ways, in the ways that they work, spend, and, and save, or mm-hmm. earn, earn, spend, and save, um, to bring about those changes. How does, how does that really start? How does somebody become aware that they have this kind of power, and then what steps do they take to, to position themselves to make a difference?
6: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. One of the things that I, I really set out to do in wallet activism is help people get clear on their values and the, the causes that are most important to them. I think part of that is offering, in the book, a lot of disillusionment. You know, we've been offered solutions for decades. You know, how long have we all been recycling? And we haven't saved the earth yet. Um, you know, the, the <laughs> things that we've been told to do in the past are are largely ineffective, which is not to say we shouldn't recycle, but we should focus more on what we buy in the first place and not think of the recycle bin as the great absolution for everything that we bought, because we have to know that a lot that goes in there doesn't end up getting recycled, and that recycling itself is a resource-intensive process, uh, and so we need to do less of it and, and just consume less in general. Um, but I wanted to help people understand all the different ways they've been misled. So that part of it is just feeling empowered and knowing, okay, someone's telling me to do this, but that's really not an effective intervention. We need to do better. But then, in addition to that, I offer a big exercise to help you think through what are the causes that that you care most about and try to prioritize them. Because I'm sure all of us have a list of a hundred different things we can get outraged about on any given day it's really thinking through what is most important because, for example, if you care about the climate above everything, you're going to make some very different decisions than someone who is really focused on racial justice and shrinking the racial wealth gap. Those will point to different action steps. And so knowing what's most important to you will help guide you. And that's important because making financial decisions can be stressful, it can be frustrating, and I don't want you to read this book and then feel paralyzed and feel unable to make decisions or constantly exhaust yourself using all this brain power to make decisions. The idea is to go through this process, do it once or do it every once in a while, and then automate a lot of things and say, okay, this is a category of thing that I will spend on without giving it too much thought or I'll earn money this way or I'll save money this way because I know that it aligns to my values. And then here are things I'm just going to cut out completely. So I I love the analogy, and I've used it in both books now, of if someone offers you a hamburger and you're a vegetarian, you don't give that any thought. You just say no, and you move on. And my goal is to give you lots of things in your life where you say no, and you move on you don't have to use your limited supply of willpower you can save that for other things you don't have to use your brain power save that for the important daily stuff too and instead you just know okay here are the things that I don't do here are the things I do and I don't overthink them and here are the things that I do but I give them a bit more thought and you try to be judicious about what you put in that category and that all really starts with again your values and and what you are most passionate about changing so that it's easier to prioritize and you're not constantly exhausting yourself with these choices
3: well i know one of the things you point to in the book is um talking about right sizing household consumption and minimizing waste and especially with regard to food waste Mm -hmm. but um i've been desperately wanting to declutter my life ever since. I lived for a short time in Los Angeles. I had a studio apartment and practically nothing in it. And and I was amazed at how little I could get by with, you know. And then Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, came back to Michigan and just started collecting all kinds of stuff again. Um, But yet you talk about, a dark side of decluttering. What what is the dark side of decluttering?
6: Well, you know, I think that you gave a perfect example just now, where you know a lot of folks have had the experience of having to downsize and realizing how great that is, um, and how little, in fact, you can get by with, and then how much less work it is to keep it all up. So this is not to say that minimizing your possessions is a bad thing, because it isn't at all. But then you moved back and you began filling your life with things again, which I think is very natural. And so I don't think that we've had enough discussion as decluttering has become all the rage from various books and shows and and all kinds of things um, that in many cases, and for most of us, decluttering is really just a way to accumulate more and to consume more. And that's, I think, One of the dark sides that, you know, once you've got this empty shelf or this empty drawer or, you know, whatever empty space, it's so tempting to fill it again.
1: There's a great commercial
3: that um, is is promoting those uh, Rubbermaid tubs, you know, the Uh the storage uh, containers. And these people go through their house and they pack everything up to these things and they stack up, you know, uh, several of these storage containers. And they look around and say, wow, all the clutter's gone. Time to get more stuff. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they, they became so organized that they had room for more stuff.
6: And I don't think most of us have that thought consciously, but it's certainly something where we, we don't hesitate to consume more if we know we're not drowning in stuff. And so that's an important consideration. The other side of it is that when we declutter, we're generally not doing it in a way that's super mindful. We're filling up bags and taking them to Goodwill or taking them to the local thrift store or whatever it might be instead of trying to find a home for each object. And I get it. We have tons of stuff. It feels like way too much work to try to find a home for each and everything. But the dark side there is that less than a quarter of what we actually donate to thrift stores is ever sold. And so most of the time, the thrift store is really just a waypoint on the way to the landfill that sort of makes us feel better. You know, if you knew you were throwing all that stuff away that you're donating, I think you would probably view it a little differently. And you'd say, well, are there some of these things I could get a bit more use out of? Or could I try to see if anybody wants some of this stuff? It feels so wasteful to throw it away. But by being able to take it to the thrift store, we don't feel those feelings, even though it's still ultimately what's happening with most of it. And in some cases, a lot of that stuff is even getting shipped overseas, where then it's not only consuming all the fossil fuels associated with trans-oceanic shipping, but it's also then becoming somebody else's problem. And we have an issue where uh, in several countries in Africa – The influx of secondhand textiles, mostly clothing, from the U.S. and other wealthy countries has actually completely destroyed their local textile industries. And so, I don't think any of us intend. Okay, I'm going to give away this bag of T-shirts. I'm going to try to destroy the livelihood of a bunch of people in poor countries certainly that's not what any of us set out to do, but that's part of the discussion that's been totally missing. And so that's why I wanted to bring this stuff into it, to say, okay, if you feel that urge to declutter, that totally makes sense, especially living in a society that pushes us to consume all the time and to accumulate too much stuff, what could we do with that impulse instead? You know, Could we try to find a home for each thing we're trying to donate or try to keep the things and get as much use out of them as we can first or um, focus on consuming less so that we have less of a need to declutter. Those are all steps that I, I really recommend folks take first rather than just filling up the garbage bags and taking them to charity and thinking that we somehow did this really good thing uh, when we also did some bad things in the in the meantime.
3: My guest is Tanya Hester, author of Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change, Tanya, does the book have, uh, does it include uh, a checklist or checklists of how people might adopt some of these uh, ideas and and, uh, make some of these choices? Is there such a thing as um, a a checklist that says, well, you know, have you considered with regard to where you work? you know, do they do this, this, this? is is the book kind of that checklist?
6: Uh, it's It's not a checklisty book, but i'll I'll tell you some of the things it does include that are practical. So in the first part of it, which is really about giving yourself the mindset of a wallet activist, I offer a checklist of four questions that you can train yourself to ask before you make any decision that will help you think through things like, is this something that I want to do because marketers have told me that I want to do it and might they be lying to me? And the answer is usually yes. Uh, So how can you learn to see through that stuff? And then the second part of the book is topic specific. So we talk about shopping. We talk about food. We talk about where to work and a number of other things. And within each of those, there are different resources that help you think about that. So within companies, I talk about traits of bad guy companies and traits of good guy companies and so those are sort of lists you can look at and almost no one is going to be purely bad or purely good but you can sort of get a sense of where do they fall on the spectrum? Are they more good, more bad? And when I say good and bad, I'm I'm meaning specifically in terms of how they treat people, and that could be employees in the U.S., but also maybe factory workers overseas or those involved in logistics and shipping, um, as well as planetary and climate concerns um, that you might have about the company. Um, And so uh, I try to give a lot of tools throughout that help people do that. um, But unfortunately, given we've talked so much about the complexity of our economy it's not as easy as saying, okay, I'm going to go down this checklist and decide. You know, it, it sometimes with some choices does take a bit more thought. But that's where I really recommend that folks focus on the biggest decisions first. You know, don't stress about those $1 and $2 decisions. Stress about the 100 the 1000 the $10,000 decisions. Um, and then once you sort of master the approach, it will become easier to translate it into the smaller dollar decisions. But focus on the big ones first and you'll make a real difference.
3: Well, Tanya, this is great, and I appreciate you spending this time with me. I I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, about what we've been talking about, and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website?
6: I do. My website is OurNextLife.com. And there you can find links to my social media accounts if you want to chat with me there, or uh, the podcasts I do, which is also called Wallet Activism, like the book, also info so
3: about the first book, work optional. Uh, yeah, it's all there. and And what's next for Tanya? <laughs> Honestly, I would like to
6: take a little bit of a break from book writing. I kind of went right in into this one from the last one. And uh, so I'm ostensibly supposed to be early retired, but I, I have not let myself really enjoy that as much as I'd like, just because it's felt really urgent. It's felt important to do this, this work. And I'm sure a lot of folks who are listening who are retired can understand it. retirement doesn't mean the end of things you want to do in life. It just means the end of having to show up for work every day. And so I've, <laughs>
3: You're not I've the treated first. it more like, what's that? I said you're not the first person I've heard say that they felt busier since they retired.
6: <laughs> I don't feel busier because um, I used to have a very high-stress job where I was traveling almost every week and uh, was also doing a blog and podcast on in, on top of that. Um, but I do feel very driven to do these things that are really important, and it's been the greatest gift to get to do that without worrying about oh, am I going to get in trouble at work for talking about this or that? Or, you know, to have total freedom to do that has been incredible. So I hope I've, I've used that well. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'd like a little bit of a break after this.
3: Well, Tanya, thanks so much, and uh, keep up the good work.
6: Thanks so much for having me. This was great. Take care. Take care.
3: That was Tanya Hester. name of the book is Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change. And we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back to uh, wrap up today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's more straight ahead.
2: Hey, this
4: is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now.
8: Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other
7: copies of east village magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org east village magazine community focused and community supported
3: the tom sumner program is made possible with support from seth david radwell a recent guest on the program and author of american schism how the two enlightenments hold a secret to healing our nation released in july 2021 American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to
5: americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
4: I wanted to get some new girlfriends. So I went and bought A Mercedes-Benz A waste of money 8,000 bucks down the drain I thought the girls Would get wild And reckless So I bought cultured pearls And a diamond necklace A waste of money That cost me four thousand more they were returned, I got no girls, they repossessed, both the car and the pearls. I styled my hair, just like Cary Grant's, bought a pair Of those new tight pants A waste of money Household finance took my pants (laughs) The female gender I just don't get it Just when I'm out Of both cash and credit I found a honey And this is what's funny She don't need my money She works for household finance
1: This was
0: another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
2: Yeah.
3: it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to all of my guests today. Tanya Hester, this last hour, uh, author of Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change. And uh, before that, fascinating story about the, uh, um, well, the name of the book was The Lost Cafe, Schindler. Let me say that again. The Lost Cafe, Schindler, One Family, Two Wars, and the Search for Truth, written by uh, Mariel Schindler, Uh, kind of a a memoir, if you will, about her family's history and the history of that particular place, which is back up and running again, about to celebrate their 100th anniversary next year. And we started out with an education in black and white with the author of Matchsticks, Fred Eng, who was the... uh, The first white student to attend the all-black college that he went to. Uh, The name of the book was uh, Matchsticks, An Education in Black and White. Fascinating story and uh, an interesting guy to be sure. And that's smoking George Winters, tickling the Ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner program starting at 9 a.m. Eastern and repeating online all day and night.